what? How have I missed this all of my life where I have not once ever said a blessing after the meal? Do you ever say blessings after the meal? No, I do the dishes. That's, that's, that's kind of my role. I eat and clean. From this side of paradise, welcome to Eden Revisited, the podcast that puts shovel to soil and cultivates those interior gardens for the reenchantment of culture. Join us as we get to the wonder by getting in the dirt and sowing the seeds of faith. Welcome to Eden Revisited. My name is Tyler Popa. I'm your host for today, and I'm joined with Nick Padranos, and we're really excited to be here. How are you doing this morning, Nick? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's election day, Tyler, and it is pouring rain outside in Seattle. So if it were any place but Seattle, I think that would probably be ominous. Yeah, it'll be interesting for our listeners who listen to this, obviously, past election day, and who knows what will be happening two days from now. But it'll be interesting. But I'll tell you, it's it's not raining in Southern California. Shocker. Wow. I'm jealous. Yeah, I think people here are talking about closing businesses, bunkering down. Hopefully it all goes well. I'm, I'm ready for it to be done. Yes, some peace would be good. And I hope that we can get there. And, and maybe today's topic will provide a little peace for, for folks or at least a, a way to some peace. Yeah, totally. But you mentioned maybe some businesses closing down, people bunkering down in a sense. Are one of those establishments, maybe a restaurant you like to go to? Because what we're going to talk about today is eating at home. Not eating out, eating on the go, eating with your device, eating at home, family dinners. How's that sound, Nick? Excellent. I love eating and I love families. So this is my topic. (laughs) Great. So breaking bread together, right? It's super important. It's something that we do as Catholics. It's central to our liturgy. But during the pandemic, specifically, my world changed around eating. I had been in a pretty consistent uh, habit of going to, again, I work at a boarding school. So going to a dining hall, picking up the food someone else made for me, oftentimes sharing meals together in the dining hall. And that was great. And we can connect that. But oftentimes, like eating on the go. And as soon as the pandemic came, like many other people, we stopped eating out. And for me, that was a dining hall. For other people, that was outside at, at businesses, establishments. And we started having to cook every meal uh, for ourselves at home. And that was a big change for us, but in a really positive way. And before we, we continue, I want to just be sensitive to folks who like, you know, this is the pandemic has hit them in other ways. I acknowledge that that wasn't the case for me. Like I still had an income, was teaching digitally, um, was able to buy groceries for my family and it was a blessing, but I, I recognize that that isn't the case for everyone. What was the pandemic like for you in terms of shifting your mindset around eating at home? Well, it actually probably didn't change too much. Morgan and I, my wife, we eat basically every meal together, dinner-wise at least. And I think we spent more time together during the pandemic, but it just made us more grateful too to have some stability. I mean, I think for families to sit down and have a common, call it a tradition or practice, that family meal, I think, helps people ride this pandemic wave out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, give us best lockdown quarantine meal that you made or continue to make to this day. Ooh, hands down salmon that we caught this summer, mostly Morgan. We had a bunch stacked in our freezer. I've probably said this before on the podcast, but we just like pull a filet out, let it thaw, cook that up. And it was amazing. So 
that was a luxury salmon and tuna that my father-in-law caught so are you going to post a link the recipe Nope, absolutely secret Milner recipe. Uh, uh, we made many times a Hewen family. This is uh, my married and family's secret recipe, which is mushroom soup. Ooh, I love mushroom soup. Mushroom soup was so good. And what you do at the end is you kind of like you add in eggs in different parts so that it's creamy. Oh, nice. And then you add in a bunch of pesto and Parmesan. Wow. Amazing. Is that a secret recipe? Can I have that one? No. That'll be linked in the in the show yes. notes for sure. Everyone should have a hearty mushroom soup this winter. Love it. So let's talk more about you said like it was good time for you to be together. So what is it about sharing a meal that's important that hopefully many of us have experienced during this quarantine period or this pandemic lifestyle where we've had to eat more and we've gotten to eat more together? What does that provide us? Like, why is that a good thing? Well, I think first of all, it is sacramental essentially making visible a sign of Christ's grace or a sign of Christ's love. And to be able to sit down and share that with someone and not to do that by yourself, it's hard to exchange grace with you in an empty chair, but to see someone at the other side of the table is sacramental. We are sharing love, we are sharing material, and it's kind of transforming into something that's greater than just the food. So I think there's a lot more going on than just putting food in our mouths. Right. And the way I was thinking about this is that our sacrament or the sacrament of the sacraments is the Eucharist, right? And we we celebrate that every Sunday. It's the center of the liturgy that we go to, our weekly obligation. And in a way, Christ chose meals for some specific reason. And that's what we're trying to get at here. Like that was the most important sign um, that we he wanted to institute into the church. And then obviously the early church fathers kept that tradition going for, for a specific reason. And so I see when we have regular meals as a, as a way to connect us to that weekly feast. And so what I also saw with Christ instituting this Eucharistic feast is a time of rest, right? We do it on the Sabbath for a reason. So every time we come to the table, it's a chance to rest with people. It's a chance to break from the work and the maybe chaos of your life. Any thoughts on eating as rest? Well, the meal itself is an act of creation because someone had to take time, put ingredients together, and create something that didn't exist before. It created something out of essentially nothing, so to speak. Like, okay, I'm a tortilla and cheese kind of guy. My wife is much more adept in the kitchen than I am. And she is bringing forth these beautiful things that I get to eat every night. And the meal was prepared. I know that sounds weird, but we rejoice in that. I rejoice in that. And then so I I think if we're connecting that back to the idea of rest, God rested on the seventh day. He created, 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 and then he rested. And then we sit back and see, oh, it was good. And it literally tasted good right? We'd be remiss if we did not sit down once that meal was created and rest together in it and enjoy it together. I love that idea of creativeness, like creation of the meal itself, like from nothing to something that we get to enjoy. And that reminds us of our origins in God. And that's what he did at initial creation. And I think, again, the meal integrates so many things about our, our human existence when we do it right. And I don't pretend to do it right all the time. A couple times during this podcast, I hope to reference Laudato Si, which is an encyclical Francis, Pope Francis published in 2015, I believe. And in there, 
there's this, this phrase he uses, it's an integrated ecology. And he even goes further, like in a subtopic, an integrated ecology of daily life. And so I just wanted to read from that really quick and then kind of jump into where I think this leads us to. So in there, he says, if the limitations of the environment are compensated for the interior of each person who feels held within a network of solidarity and belonging, any place can turn from being of being a hell on earth into a setting for a dignified life. Okay. So again, pandemic, like the most chaotic thing that we've all experienced, chaos is all around us. Meals were often away, even if they were different than what we expected because we had a loss of income or like meals were still away to connect us with one another and to remind us of the creativeness of our need for rest of our need for each other. So Nick, where does your history of meals come from? Tell me a little bit about growing up in the Paternos family. How did you learn to appreciate meals the way you do today? I'm the oldest of six. There's five boys, one girl. So it's a it's a big family. We're we're eight, and you you also come from a big family, Tyler. But probably the best thing my parents could have done for us was this act of sitting down together for family meals. It was something that we did every single night. You know, maybe we had basketball practices or baseball or something like that. But typically, we'd wait for everyone to come home. It was not a grab and go sort of setting. And trust me, I remember during high school, during those angsty teenage years, I did not necessarily always want to be at the dinner table. Parents were annoying. Siblings are annoying. I have homework to do. But what my parents really did super well that I'm so grateful for is they kept that tradition going and it it had to be a staple. It wasn't a negotiable. You know, I think of it kind of like brushing your teeth. (laughs) You have to brush your teeth every single day for there to be a difference. Like if you brush them every once in a while, you're going to get cavities. I think the same thing has to go with family dinners. You have to do it every single day because otherwise it's not as easy to build those those familial bonds. And now most of us are older. And when we go home, the thing we look forward to most is those family meals. I think you really have to do it day in and day out really to be effective. I know that's not always a possibility for families, but to make it a top priority, I think it's just crucial. I mean, I had a similar experience growing up and I think it kind of faded towards the end of my childhood. I was four or five. So where you were the oldest child, I was kind of one of the last. And so I think my parents were kind of at their wits end sometimes. And then also like super busy shuttling us to and from practice. I know you were that way too. And so I think it's one thing for us, just married people, and I have a dog, you don't. Like, we have very few responsibilities outside of work for us to say, hey, everyone should be having family dinner every night. That's a thing, something to strive for, and I, I hope that we can all attain that someday. But I, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that it's, it's extremely difficult, and it's, it's something that we should look forward to. But it's, it's, it's really a difficult thing, I think, that we need to do. I, I don't think you're writing it off. We're having this podcast, right? But man, if I could just encourage young families, if we have any young families who are listening or young moms and dads, like, this is it. it like we said at the start, today is election day. Father Ted Hesburgh, former president of Notre Dame, said voting is a civic sacrament. I would go so far to say that a family dinner is the family sacrament eating dinner together is the thing. Why? Christ did it. We have a perfect model. We're being brought into communion with each other at this meal. I'm glad you said that because, yeah, I don't, I don't want us to, to lose sight of, of the perfect model and be like, okay, well, we can't achieve perfection, so let's just dwindle our efforts down to 
you know, subpar. No, you got to you got to strive for the best. I'm sure your parents were sacrificing quite a bit to have those meals uh, together. And, and each person brought their own little bit of sacrifice to that meal because they could be doing other things, right? We're both economics teachers. We both have opportunity costs. That's where the sacramentality of it is for me, this knowing that we're all sacrificing to do it together. When you bring that to the table, there's a lot of fruit. You know, I don't know how much family dinners are a value in American culture anymore, but there's a different culture that I've had kind of the privilege of being able to tap into secondhand is from the Republic of Georgia. And my brother, who's at an organization called the First Things Foundation, check him out, has really introduced this to us because this is something part and parcel to their work. They do what's called a supra dinner. And if you go to the Republic of Georgia, you're going to see this all over the place. Essentially what it is, it's just a shared meal with three or more people. And the supra is like the tablecloth and the tablecloth represents the body of Christ. So you can obviously see that this is, this is sacramental in terms of its symbolism. And then everyone sitting around the table is drinking wine. And this is sort of the mediating agent, right? Between the tablecloth, and the members around it. So everyone is becoming a part of Christ's body by taking part of this wine. Throughout the, the evening, you do a series of toasts, and they're, they're toasts not to, to small things, trivial things. They're toasts to God, to women, to children, to men, to families. And everyone is combined in this sort of effort. You're bringing forth a spiritual reality, a spiritual togetherness. Again, it's not just for the really good food that's sitting on the table. Of course, like we enjoy that. Tyler, you mentioned that you're a foodie, but there's something more here. And I would love just to see that in American culture to invest time in sitting at the table of becoming a network member with the family because that's who we are. We're not out on our own little islands. So if you want to integrate a cool cultural tradition that's not your own into your life, check out the Supra or the KP, sometimes it's called, from the Republic of Georgia. I'm so sad that I have never experienced a KP with you yet, Nick. Tyler, we need to get you out to Seattle and have one ASAP. They're fabulous. And the number of people who've done it like a first time, they're like, that was amazing. I want to do that again. I felt so alive. The, the wine also gets to you, but hey, that's secondary. <laughs> we should talk about the that secondary element in another podcast. Exactly. That's funny. You mentioned, you know, how I said I was a foodie. And I, I think it's appropriate at this point to give a shout out to my some of my family members, especially my, my older sisters, who I think I attribute that to. And what I mean by that, and what I was trying to describe earlier is this idea of like, it's all about the food. Right. And like, let's let's look at the, the coolest experience of food, the best food. Where is it maybe cheapest? All, all that combined. So one one example of this. Well, first of all, when we were traveling and stuff, basically our whole itinerary was centered around like, where are we going to stop for breakfast? Who has the best breakfast sandwich in this town? Then what are we going to do in between that? It's, it wasn't about like the natural features always. It was like, what is the food like? Um, which I think there's there's some beauty to that. But one one example I wanted to share is, you know, I remember this vividly growing up. I was probably nine or 10. And my two older sisters, I think maybe even all three of them, I can't remember, were driving from Phoenix, Arizona to Albuquerque, New Mexico for lunch. <laughs> No way. Seven hours, one way. Seven hours, one way. Because there was a barbecue place there that they liked. And what they actually did was they were a foodie, but so was our our parish priest. And so I don't know if he's listening. That'd be really cool if he did. Father Eric, uh, shout out to you. They traveled together to Albuquerque for lunch and then they drove back that night. Now, 
yes, it was all about the food, but it wasn't just all about the food, right? We want to get to it in, you know, a mindset and how we approach food and the food at our table. Like, yes, it is important. There's this really good connection to the earth and the people who created it, right? You mentioned that earlier. And even like a foodie mentality is we really appreciate those who have spent so much time creating this amazing food. And then it's the shared experience together, right? It's like that wholeness, that integrated again, to think about Pope Francis's words here, this integrated ecology, this encounter with the natural world through eating. Right. Food is a necessary end. We need food to live. But if all we did was eat food, that would be gross. We don't just show up at the table to fill our tanks and leave. There's a greater end there that is to break bread together and drive seven hours to have probably the time of their lives. That's nuts. I don't think I could do that, but I guess if I had my best friends with me, eh. <laughs> maybe someday. One thing I wanted to hit home today, you just said like breaking bread with others is important. And hopefully we've described some of those reasons why so far. Let's talk about what inhibits us from doing that. Yeah. I think one thing I could do much better at is eating lunch with other people, especially when I'm at school. Usually I'm like teaching, 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 done. I'm like, oh, I don't want to see anybody. And I eat by myself in my desk. But that's probably a good time where I should break bread with other people and kind of rejuvenate socially rather than hunker down. But I think what draws people away, or people might be sitting down together during this time. They might be sitting down together and trying to do this. But just because their bodies are there doesn't necessarily mean their minds are there. I think we have to be mindful of what we bring to the dinner table. So even if everyone's physically present, are we there ready to engage or is there a little buzz in my pocket happening? Am I more focused on something else rather than the people who are there? Exactly. Yeah. And at the boarding school I work at, we used to have a pretty well followed procedure, which is you don't bring your phone to the dining hall. And I remember when I first came here, this is four years ago, I had anxiety about when my phone was on my person when I walked in the dining hall for those reasons, right? I didn't, I didn't want to be that person whose phone rang or was tempted to look at them, their phone during the meal. And just even in a short time, like we've all just moved towards a new direction where it's like, it's okay. And it's completely distracting, right? Now that I have experienced what it's like to be with teenagers and like know that they don't have to be addicted to their phones when they're having a meal. And now uh, that I see the opposite of that, it's it's a whole world of difference. And so even just like a simple thing like, yeah, where is your phone? Even if it's not on the table, if it's in your pocket, it's potentially distracting for you. And these are habits that we have to undo. I just watched the documentary Social Dilemma. Have you seen that, Tyler? Not yet. Oh my goodness. Everyone should watch that. We'll link that in the show notes as well. It's on Netflix, essentially insiders from big social media companies, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, that sort of thing, who kind of give you the inside look at this monster that's been created and being created to be addictive. So yes, I'm not excluding myself. I know exactly what my faults are and with my phone. But man, if there is one antidote to overcome that, we have to have to practice, and I keep saying it, being in communion. That's the only antidote to isolation is drawing ourselves out. Yeah, I'm going to put in the in the show notes here a quote that I won't read over the podcast, but I think we should have a whole other podcast or two on Laudato Si, but Pope Francis again talks about this, and he has another way of describing this, which I think is what you're getting to, this anthropocentrism. So it's this like humans are the center of everything and specifically the subjectivity of me, like I'm the center of everything. And that's 
like my phone is an extension of me and that's why I'm so addicted to it because it's, it's all about me. And again, topic for another day, but when we put that away and we come to the table, we start having conversations with other humans and it becomes other centered, right? And that's the communion mm. that you're talking about. And I've been there with you, right? I understand what it's like at lunchtime specifically, right? When you're like, I got to get to the next thing. You know, someone talked to me before class when I was going to grade or plan that last thing before class. And now all of a sudden I have to do that during lunch. And so those things are going to happen. But as much as we can plan to rest in those mealtimes, have communion with other people, like you said, I love that idea. The antidote to that busyness, that hecticness is, is certainly going to help a lot. Totally. So one more antidote. Okay. This is the last thing I think I want listeners to, to walk away with is one other way to enter into meals. What do you, what do you think I'm thinking about here, Nick? To enter into meals? Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to say, bless us, O Lord. And these, is that what you're going Yeah, for? keep going. Oh no, bless the Lord and these are gifts which we're about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes I say it so fast that I'm like, what did I just say? Right. Oh my gosh. I went home and my dad watched me pray before a meal and he's like, what was that? It was it was like just a meal during lunchtime. He's like, was that even a prayer? Said, yeah, sorry. I should, I should be more mindful of this. So I'm glad you're going to bring this up because I need to hear this. Uh, I I think about some of those people that you're at liturgy with or at church with, and they they say the prayers that you're saying in communion together really slow and intentional, and you're like, it's like almost a call out. They're like, I'm gonna say this slower and more thoughtful, and you're like, <laughs> oh gosh, here I am, just like really, really uh, ruining this prayer experience by just trying to rush through it. But you're right, like uh. I I rush through that all the time, and it's it's super important. It's centering. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts for which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. A great centering prayer. If you were to say that slowly, like what do you take away from that prayer? That I didn't necessarily provide it. Everything is through Christ. I think that's the the one that stands out to me. It is not through Nick. It is not through Tyler. It is through Christ that we have all of these gifts. And it's easy if we don't say that, like, oh, wow, look at this fabulous meal that I just prepared, which I usually didn't. But it reorients us, kind of as you said, it takes us away from ourselves and lets us focus on another, that other being Christ in this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I, I focus on the idea of gifts. You talked about earlier food being a necessity. And if we're just going to have that kind of numb experience with food where you just you eat your food and you move on to the next thing, you're not going to make that next step to what we talked about in an earlier podcast, like who made this food? Where did it come mm. from? How did it get to my plate? But if you're going to stop and realize that this is a gift, and like you said, it's it's from others and eventually from Christ or formerly from Christ, then you're going to have a different experience with your food. Right. Do you pray after meals too? Oh, I'm so glad. So glad you brought that up because this is this was the inspiration for this whole podcast. Oh, no. So, when I was reading Laudato Si's for the first time, I, I vividly remember reading this simple request from Pope Francis, which is, when we stop and give thanks to God before and after meals, and that blew my mind. I thought, what? How have I missed this all of my life where I have not once ever said a blessing after the meal? Do you ever say blessings after the meal? No, I do the dishes. <laughs> That's, that's that's kind of my role. I eat and clean. That that's kind of our trade 
in the Patternos household right now. Well, I just think it's a super interesting idea. And I wish, again, I've read this five years ago and I still haven't implemented it perfectly into my practice of, of spirituality and, and appreciating and, and this connectedness to my food and, and to one another. But I think he's really on something. So, I will read a quote here. This praying before and after meals is an expression of an attitude. And so, Pope Francis says in this encyclical, we are speaking of an attitude of the heart, one which approaches life with serene attentiveness, which is capable of being fully present to someone without thinking of what comes next, which accepts each moment as a gift from God to be lived in the full, right? And if we do pray before a meal, great. We're going to stop and we're going to recognize there's someone else across the table that there's these gifts that are nourishing both our bodies. But if we just, if we re-enter the chaos or we re-enter work without closing that meal, I think we're going to miss some of the benefits that we were reaping from that rest, that togetherness, that that mm-hmm. oneness, that communion. Yeah. Okay. That's our weekly challenge. Let's challenge each other. You got to say before and after grace. We'll see how we do. Beautiful. Well, I've loved this conversation. I know that there's there's more to glean from future conversations. To recap, maybe what we said was important is breaking bread with others, right? We talked about some of those reasons. We said, slow down a bit, right? Try to take a second, a breath, eat with others rather than eat with yourself, and then pray before and after meals. Love it. Eating dinner, family sacrament. If that's the one thing that you do together as a family, in my experience, that is what's going to be the glue. When you have kids coming back from different states, from college or whatever, the number one thing I get joy from for going home is sitting down around the table and eating a meal with my brothers and sisters, mom and dad. And there's nothing better. Amen. Mom, if you're listening, I'm, I'm coming home soon. We're going to eat a meal together. I love family dinners on Sundays. I get those in the family text every week. Hey, we're having spaghetti and lasagna for dinner, or we're having tacos. So great. My mom, too, when I went home back to Colorado last week, she texted me beforehand, what do you want for me to cook for you? And I always have like my two or three things that I love, and it's it's quite the time. Gotta love moms and dads. Dad, your pancakes are, are wonderful Sunday mornings. That's a staple, too. Before we go, we have uh, a new tradition here on Eden Revisit. We hope it continues. We don't know. But Nick, why don't you uh, introduce what we're talking about here? Yeah, so a lot of my favorite podcasts, they have shout outs at the end. Shout outs are cool, but they're a little bit overused. So we thought what we'd do since we're kind of the Eden podcast, we're going to call this Sprout Outs, S-P-R-O-U-T, Sprout Outs. Okay. Um, and I have two sprout outs. The first one goes to a listener who I don't know, and her name is Mary Kay. She reached out to me via Word on Fire, Bishop Barron's ministry, and she's been listening to our podcast. And I just want to read this note really quick. So Mary Kay, if you're listening, this was so meaningful to us. She says, hi, Nick, Tyler, and Austin. I've listened to all the episodes. Great stuff. Thank you. I enjoyed hearing about different cultures, insights on the Bible, Catholic players like Chesterton, and your personal stories as teachers. One simple story that stood out was the story of your friend who woke up in the morning and said, Good morning, God. We'll talk about him later next week. Uh, So keep on doing what you're doing, and thank you again. So thank you, Mary Kay. That is so inspiring for us. And then one more quick sprout out to my mother-in-law, Jody. She gave me a little growing kit for basil so I could have an indoor garden during the winter months. So she's looking out for us. Thanks, Jody. Don't you know, Nick, that it's Basel 
not basil. Oh my gosh. Basil is the saint. Basil is what I eat on my spaghetti. (laughs) All right, everyone. Pray before and after meals, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. All right. St. Isidore. Pray for us. Pray for us. See you guys.